right, here we go. Welcome in. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. We're happy to be back here with you. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine border war. And we know that confrontation is creating a lot of volatility and speculation in our markets. So we wanted to discuss it today um, and let you know where our thoughts are and where we stand with the situation and how we think you may want to approach the markets uh, as this kind of proceeds through. Uh, I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management, and I'm here with Matthew Thiel, Certified Financial Planner, Joshua Winterswike, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, did you guys, though, watch the Olympics? Hey, Brent. Great to see you. Um, no, I didn't watch too much of the Olympics. Watched a little ice hockey. Um, to be honest, I was a little busy watching the Rams win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I was just really happy. I know we talked about it in the last episode and just happy to be a Super Bowl champion today. Wait, isn't the Olympics like three weeks long and you're talking about one day for the Super Bowl? I am, but I just want to really throw in that the Rams won. Well, I'm glad you finally picked a winner. Um, the Olympics, Brent. Yes, I did watch them. Um, I only really watched kind of like my favorite events, though. Didn't really pay attention to everything else. Kind of not my thing this year. I don't think we really finished that high up in the medal count, right? I don't think so either. That's how much I really didn't watch. I mean, I think I watched like Nathan Chen. He was a big story for the U.S. and the figure skating. Sean White's last snowboarding. But outside of that, I really didn't watch too, too much of it. We took third, I think, in the oh, medal that's count. that's not bad. Yeah. The time that I checked, I thought we were further behind. I that. think it was the lowest rated Olympics in history. So, you know, you guys weren't alone if you didn't watch it that much. Is that because like every time I watched a winter sport there, there was like no snow. It looked like it was in the middle of summer. <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah that's probably why um okay moving on so we got some hot take headlines for you today uh there was a bitcoin takedown in 2016 somebody stole 119,754 bitcoins from a bitcoin exchange called bitfinex did i say that right yes you did and that's a lot of bits in one sentence uh today the bitcoins is worth 4.5 billion dollars uh, law enforcement officers arrested Heather Morgan, 31, and Eli Itchestines, 34 years old, for trying to move the money on the crypto exchange. U.S. government was able to get back and seize $3.6 in Bitcoin. Um, this is pretty much like the largest, I think, financial scam ever. Seems like they did some pretty good damage in a period of time. What's your take? This is an interesting one um, for a couple of reasons. So Bitcoins are, it was only worth like 70 million, I think, when the, the Bitcoin was originally stolen. But since Bitcoin's gone up so much in that time period, now it's you know, worth over a billion, like you were saying. But what happened to Bitcoin being untraceable, right? I thought, you know, you use Bitcoin and it's uh, untraceable and they can't get you. But it, it, actually, the opposite is true. And um, Bitcoin is very traceable if the regulators know how to use it and have the proper tools. And, you know, they've spent the last um, five to seven years developing those tools and they, they used it here and they were able to take down some bad guys, which is pretty cool. Were they searching this whole time for these people to try to hunt this down? Or would, was this kind of like a, a more known occurrence more recently? Yeah, it, they were actually continuously trying to, to track these people down. But it didn't become until more recently that they did have more added tools. The tools were evolving in that same time frame as Bitcoin was evolving to try to catch people who are trying to steal and um, transfer money launder Bitcoin. Um, I'd just like to say that the 
female in this story, the crocodile of Wall Street. Is that is that did I say that right, Matt? Yep. Razakon. <laughs> yeah, Razakon. She's also a rapper. <laughs> the, the story gets even more interesting. Um and I think it's pretty interesting also part of the story is that, you know, cryptocurrency can be used um in a lot of kind of dark web, you know, criminal activity. But also that like our government is also evolving and making sure that we have tools to prevent that as well. So I thought that was an interesting part of the story. If you have a good few minutes, I'd go search her rap video if you want a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, Google Heather Morgan because she, she was an absolute character and there's a lot of just really funny stuff on the internet about her. Um, and then once you do, um, you know, do the research about her, most likely wasn't these two who stole the Bitcoin, is what they're saying. They're most likely trying to help whoever stole the Bitcoin launder the Bitcoin. So, yes. And uh, it was a, a Walmart $500 gift card that eventually got them all caught. Yeah, that tipped kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened to the almost $1 billion that's still missing? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, it could be with the original thieves. It could be on another Bitcoin wallet. Because the way they got it was all this Bitcoin was, I believe, on one wallet drive. So that's how they found it. So uh, most likely it's with, with the original thieves somewhere else overseas. What I don't understand about the whole scenario, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, is why are these two people in the U.S.? Right, because if you did all that, you should probably not be here. Yeah, you should probably be you know, in a country where they're really not going to care that you stole this many Bitcoin. And I, I believe they were at some point, right? They yeah, they did away. They traveled back and forth a lot. Yeah. But yeah, you make a good point. Why would you? Why would you stick around here? So they did utilize and spend some of that money. Yeah, somebody did. I don't know if it was them. Yeah, it's just, we can't speculate if it was them or not. I don't right. think we know. And eventually laundering it to spend it got them caught. Um, cool thing though. Final top point on this is there's a Netflix special coming out. Sorry, I guess it's already in works and they're working on the script. So hopefully we'll get something good in about a year and a half on this. As I was reading these stories about these, um, this couple, I was thinking, man, this is going to be a great, great movie or docu-series. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, Matt. Glad to hear that. All right. So Canada froze bank accounts of people at the trucker protest. Um, Canada Prime Minister Justin Trudeau used emergency orders to freeze accounts of people who are taking part or even contributing to the trucker protest. Matt, I know you've been fired up for two weeks about this issue. We've been listening to you all around the office talk about Canada and what's going on there. What's your take about this? Yeah, I mean, this is unprecedented in a democracy. Um, Extremely, extremely scary. I mean, you're looking at, you know, people who have an opposing view to the prime minister of Canada, and he enacts an emergency power to freeze their their assets so they no longer have access to their money. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgage. They can't pay their utility bill. All their money has just been completely wiped. All because they have an opposing view on COVID. It's probably one of the scariest things we've dealt with, you know, in this 21st century, in my opinion. The more I read this story, the more it became a little scary, like you're saying. I mean, it, it's just the use of the emergency power even for people that were donating a small amount of money to have their assets froze. I mean, in a country that's technically free, I mean, it is pretty scary. And I thought the same thing. It took me a little while because Matt was, you know, really pumping this story up here in the office over the last two weeks. But I would have to agree with you, Matt, at this point. As far as I can remember, this is one of the first conflicts I've ever heard that has happened in Canada. Usually much doesn't happen from what we hear about over there. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, Canadians are supposedly really nice. And, you know, they just went out to protest some overbearing COVID mandates, which I think has been kind of, uh, you know, on par with the rest of the world protesting COVID mandates. And Trudeau and his government didn't like it. So they pulled out all the all the tricks in the playbook to stop them. And finally, it led to freezing of assets. And as UK has now like completely changed their restrictions, basically saying, you know, we're, li- we're learning to live with COVID and we're not going to have any more restrictions. It seems like Canada is still working in the opposite direction to clamp down. Yeah, um, that's, um, you know, the, this kind of leftist liberal wing of the party. They really like the uh, authoritarian regimes. Well, hopefully the problem resolves here pretty soon because it's probably not good to carry on this long. No, and it's just such a slippery slope, right? This can get really bad really fast, and we're already seeing it just in the few weeks of news that we've been reading on it. So hopefully calmer minds prevail. Yeah, I mean, if you're freezing bank accounts for something like this, I mean, what's the next thing you're going to be freezing people's bank accounts over? Right, exactly. That's a slippery slope idea, and it's just, it is pretty scary. I mean, get your Bitcoins ready, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, many people are concerned, and let's get in the retirement planning corner, about the tensions along with the border of Russia and Ukraine. We thought really we should spend some time today just discussing what some of those questions are that we're getting from other people regarding the issue and what could possibly happen in our markets um, as this kind of progresses over in time. Have you guys ever seen, though, Russia invade other countries like this before? Yes. We have. Um, and it happened in 2008, Russia with, with Georgia, right, Matt? Yep, 2008, they invaded. Uh, it was a big story in the financial news for all of about four days. And then are stocks right now going up or down because of this war? So I, I think it's important to understand, like, I know, like, when we're watching Fox News and CNN and ABC, like, they talk about these war headlines and they show then the Dow or S&P down. Uh, we've talked about this on almost every show this year. The market was probably going to go down regardless if there is a war or not a war. Sure, it's, it could be driving it down just a little bit, but really it's not the cause of the market dropping, right? We've kind of discussed why the market was prone to drop this year. Um, you know, these two countries trading headlines in the news along with the U.S. and the West, Western NATO allies really isn't too much cause for concern for the market. What I thought was interesting is that you, there was a big lead up to this taking place, right? And then they decided on Monday to invade. And then on Tuesday, it was anticipated that really the markets were going to get crushed because this was coming to fruition. The markets had been somewhat concerned about this. But then Tuesday came and it wasn't really all that bad compared to what we had seen last week in the previous weeks or even in January this year. Why such a difference and why didn't that actually fall that first day? That's a great question, and it, this is that's kind of on par with what we've seen previously. Is you know, maybe there's a little fall coming up, and then once it's announced, oh yeah, that we're gonna not even start a war. We're just gonna go occupy this territory where a bunch of Russians live, which is essentially what they announced. Yeah, it doesn't cause much of a drop. It's really just the news trying to get viewers sucked in to watch. And back in 2008, when we talked about Russia, you know, announcing or invading Georgia. In a very similar situation, stocks actually ended positive that day. So that news broke, and we had a good day in the market that day. And you're just seeing even now that that drop wasn't very significant. 
And I think it's also taken away some of that uncertainty. There was a lot of lead up to this headline finally breaking, right? Like we all had an idea about what was going to eventually go on. Yeah, if, I felt like a lot of the decline already had happened leading up to this situation, like it was already anticipated. I mean, I could be wrong, but it went down a lot the previous week. Yeah, and I, I don't, like I was saying, I don't even think that's related to Russia and Ukraine. I mean, honestly, I think the Canadian story is more important than Russia and Ukraine. Um, I, I think the market was going down because of inflation and interest rates rising. We, we know that that's the playbook this year, and it's going to be a choppy year because of those two, um, those two news items. How have we seen stocks perform in modern day war times? I have a couple just kind of good data points here. So back in 2003, when the U.S. invaded Iraq, stock rose by a little over 2% the following day. And the year after that, we finished up more than 30% from that point. So this is just one example that, you know, war started like in 2003, we had positive return in the market. Matt, you want to give another example? Yeah, so in Vietnam in 65, um, the Dow was up um, over 10% that year. And that's pretty common with what we see with war times. Um, actually, the market ends up going up when there's a war, uh, not down, which is quite interesting. But then on the, also the opposite side, you know, we had the terrorist attack on U.S. soil in 2011, and we saw stocks sharply fall. I mean, a little more than 15%. Um, but we were also in the middle of a recession, um, and stocks were in a free fall from you know bursting dot com bubble. So maybe not the best comparison, but you know three different examples, three different outcomes too. There's nothing kind of directly correlated here. Yeah, and then it's kind of interesting. So there's a study that was done um, by a researcher, and I, I, I apologize for whoever did the study because I don't have his name, but it was done through the time period of 1926 to July of 2013. So there's quite a few wars in that time period. And he looked at stock market volatility, and what he found was when there's actually a war going on, the stock market is less volatile than it is in non-war times, uh, which is the complete opposite of what you would think. And I think what ends up happening is my guess would be the market just kind of understands, hey, there's a war going on. We're just going to start ignoring it. Um, so I would imagine, you know, in the next few days, this Russia-Ukraine thing starts to get ignored by the market and the news moves on to something else. And like you said, there's just more pressing variables that are a lot more relevant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Has the market reacted traditionally as much to wars that have taken place that really had very little to do with us. I know this has to do with us, but you know we talked a lot about how wars that we're involved in, but what about wars that don't have to do much with us? Um, that's a great, great question. Um, so there's a bunch of data here. Um, I have a, lots of different wars that don't really pertain to us, but on average, the one-day drop is around 1%. So that's pretty much consistent with what we saw today as in being Tuesday, the day we're recording the 22nd. And the total drawdown is usually around 5%. Right now we're at 10% drawdown, but this started way before the crisis. We've been in a, a down market pretty much all year. And it usually takes um, about 22 days to find a, an actual low point in the market. Uh, so yeah, we should be pretty close to a bottom in the next few days. Um, and then what about the, about the World War III references? What did stocks do in World War II? This is a great question because this is like what this is the news kind of like main um, rallying point, right? Like, oh, this is World War Three. They're going to go after Kiev and start blowing it up. And then the U.S. is going to get involved and China is going to get involved and everyone's going to get nuked out. Right. And World War Three is here. Uh, it's the extremist example. 
Um, but interesting enough, in, in World War II, the Dow was up more than 50% from the years of 1939 to 1945, good for a 7% per year average return. So stocks were up every year during World War II. And how do stocks really perform during other major wars? Well, we have a, also some other good data points here from other major wars. We have the Korean War, just from large cap stocks during that time of war, were up over 18%. We have Vietnam War up over 6%, and the Gulf War up over 11.7% from large cap stocks in the U.S. So you're seeing through these war periods, good rates of return, um, and kind of probably contrary to a lot of people's beliefs if you're not looking at the data. Yeah, all wars on average, look at that, 11% rate of return. And then if you compare this, like we need a comparison, from 1926 to 2013, on average, the stock market returned 10% per year. So war is actually more bullish for stocks than less bullish for stocks, which is very counterintuitive. So during this time, should people be looking to buy or sell stocks knowing that we're having this crisis right now? Um, no, I mean, you shouldn't be looking to sell. I mean, you know, there's you know, no reason to sell your stocks right now. They've already dropped a little bit. I mean, why would you sell something that's on sale? Um, and to, to your point, you probably should be looking to start buying soon. Absolutely. And, and a lot of common stocks are down big. I mean, this started last year. I mean, if you're really looking at your portfolio of, of common stocks decline. So again, why would you be you selling low on this headline? Why wouldn't you have already be selling if that was the fear? So, but again, you know, I think it takes it back to of remembering that you have ownership in a stock. You own shares of a company that are still going to produce services and goods, no matter what's going on with the war in Russia and Ukraine. Apple's still going to make iPhones and sell them to the American public if you own Apple stock. So I think it's kind of good to take that back. Um, and even if we did go into a World War III, Apple could probably make some pretty cool uh, military devices to sell and you still get the upside potential there. Yeah, I mean, such a great point. You and I are both in the SUV market right now. We need a new SUV. Um, what Russia and Ukraine are doing on their border isn't going to impact us buying that SUV this year. No, I found out real fast that my car isn't ideal for pulling a car seat in and out. So. But what would impact my ability to buy a car is if Canada freezes my bank account. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you make a really good point there. Or if you had one of those cars on that ship that was in the middle of the ocean that started on fire and now all those cars are have been burned, that, that might have some impact as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, what's interesting too, I think about this topic is when you start to look at what the media does from an emotional standpoint, as they start to create sort of that uncertainty or concern in your mind about what the future holds when things like this start to take place, it makes you also concerned about either your personal well-being or how your finances are going to react in a situation like this. And it's, I think, most important that you go back and look at historical data and what happens during these times, but not only that, to get a better perspective on sort of what the situation is and how it really might impact you. But I think, you know, part of what about that is interesting is it can lead you to so many fears and thoughts and concerns. But in reality, the situation, as far as the market goes, is minimally impacted and far less than you think is probably going to be impacting you. Yeah, and we saw this during coronavirus, right? I mean, that was a situation where they shut down the economy. Obviously, there's financial impact. But as things got going, I mean, the news continued to create hysteria around COVID because that brings in viewers. And that's what they're doing right now with Russia and Ukraine. They're creating hysteria around it because it's going to bring in viewers. 
Right. And I thought what was different too about COVID, I mean, there obviously it's very different in a lot of ways, but the market was really down for about 30 days and then it started to recover very quickly. That was a very serious situation to and risk to our economy. This is very minimally at risk, but still you kind of have that, that hysteria happening again. Yeah, absolutely. I agree that there was more economic risk during COVID than there is right now. And are you having or should people have any impact to their financial plans because of this issue? I think if you've been neglecting your financial plan already up to this point, now's a good time to to get it updated, right? We take that a proactive approach. This headline shouldn't promote you to be reactive to making changes unless something really changed like we're talking about with your life or your situation. So I think that you know, if this is going to be that trigger event for you to just naturally be doing what you should be anyway with your financial plan of updating it and making sure it's on track and um, all of the things that we normally talk about, great. But I don't think that this is something that you need to react to. Um, it is just one variable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're looking at financial planning, we're taking a long-term approach. And, you know, even if this is a, a, a war and they start shooting at each other, which doesn't sound like they have or have plans to shoot at each other, um, you know, it'll be over by the time, you know, where your plan is even like probably started, right? So it really shouldn't impact you know, what your long-term goals are or what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. All right. So I think we make some good points. I think what's important here is just obviously hold tight. This issue is probably going to be ongoing for a little bit, but, you know, we, we aren't seeing as much impact in the market. I think obviously there's a lot of bigger issues in the economy right now than this one uh, that's causing some volatility. Yeah. Uh, CNN, Fox, they'll move on to a new story in a couple of weeks. Makes sense. Uh, all right. Let's get into the RPA recommends. Matt, what do you have for us? All right, so I'm going to kick us off today with um, a book. I don't think we've done a book on the show yet, have we? If we have, it was a long time ago. It's probably a while ago. So yeah, usually probably a cookbook, huh? So I'll go with um, a book called The Power Law by Sebastian Malaby, and I could be really butchering that last name. Uh, but the book's called The Power Law. It is about the history of um, venture capitalists in the country. Really, really interesting, timely read right now. Um, the book just came out, so it's a lot of fresh material. It starts back all the way in the 50s and 60s and kind of the birth of technology and then just goes through that and it starts to name all the big players and all the VCs and how they got started and the companies they funded. Um, I'm on the chapter right now where they're talking about how Apple got funded. Um, really interesting to hear about it. What do you have for us, Josh? Did I already recommend this? Did I tell you guys I got a, a Blackstone? I think you may have, but tell us more about it. Did I mention that already? Uh, I mean, you've cooked me an amazing burger on that Blackstone. But have I given it as a recommendation yet? Uh, I don't know. We'll just recommend it again because you obviously like it. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I was uh, a little, drawn a little blank here on the recommends, but that's been my project recently. Got um, a, a Blackstone grill. Shout out. It was a, it was a gift. Very nice gift um, from my cousin. And um, really had been wanting one. It's like a cast iron, flat iron grill. So you can do like burgers and a bunch of food on it and stuff like that. I actually um, had Matt over and we did some smash burgers on it, but like really easy setup, really easy cleanup to kind of just do a full meal on this outdoor flat iron grill. Really like it. Um, They sell them locally. I mean, they're like at Home Depot and Lowe's and a bunch of other places, but I'm going to recommend that because I've really um, enjoyed cooking on my Blackstone grill. So go check them out if you're looking for a gift for anyone who's, uh, who's looking for a barbecue or grill. Yeah, your smash burgers were next level. And I hear there's a, a rumor on the street that you might be doing Taco Man um, sometime in the summer of 
2022. So I'm looking forward to getting the invite for tacos. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll have to have a, an RPA day. I'm, I'm perfecting my taco game on that Blackstone. So uh, taco man coming soon. I, I know we talked about smash burgers before, uh, with mine us doing smash burgers at the house. I think again smash burgers are the best way to have a burger if that's what it done. was so yeah. wasn't that i recommended blacksmith you recommended smash burgers yeah it's it's great um all right my recommend is an actually an app and, and maybe if you've been listening to the podcast for a while i've you've heard me talk about a guy named bobby Parrish who is about eating healthy and a lot of the healthy eating ingredients flave city yeah so if uh you are into eating healthier you want to learn to eat healthier he has an app called bobby approved and what you can do is just scan items, um, barcode with the app, and it will tell you if it's approved item or not, basically meaning whether it's a clean ingredients or if there's a bad ingredients in there like sugar or certain chemicals that you shouldn't probably be putting into your body that aren't healthy for your body. But it is a very easy way to uh, look at an app and know, you know what you're eating is, whether or not it's good, clean, or whatnot. And one thing that you can do, what I started doing with the app, is I downloaded the app and I started going around my kitchen and finding out what was approved and what's not approved. And you'd be surprised of some of the things that you find uh, in your house that's, you know, contains not as good ingredients. Was there a lot of stuff in your house that wasn't approved? More than I would have thought, but... Um, and you eat pretty, pretty clean, so yeah. that's surprising. So it, it was surprising a lot. of There was certain things that I thought were clean, but there's just bad ingredients in them. Did you throw a lot out? No. <laughs> no, but it's good education to know as you continue to go shopping, you know, what you're not going to buy and kind of retweaking what you're buying. I said Flav City because I think that's his Instagram handle, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And he has a couple cookbooks. We've talked about those in the past, but check out the app. It's good. It's interesting information and finding out if you're, what you're eating is actually truly healthy ingredients. I'm kind of scared Me too. <laughs> to, to, to use it. And look yeah. What's in my I know. It's surprising. So uh, as we end today, and as advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. You can also download our ebook on our website. Uh, the Retirement Plan Playbook gives you financial steps that you should take, whether you're 10 years, 5 years, or 1 year from retirement. You also get information on how to manage your first year of retirement. And it also involves case studies um, so that you know, can show you exactly how and the steps that we can do to work together. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. But as always, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.